Turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 4. We're continuing our series in John's Gospel. We only have about 160 more to go uh, at this rate, yes. Uh, but the nice thing is, is that every, every passage is God's Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God. So everywhere we are in John's Gospel or anywhere we are in all of the Scriptures, uh, we have God's Word coming to us. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 4, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54 will be our scripture reading today. 46, excuse me, 43, 43 to 54. And so if you're turned there, I um, invite you to follow along as I as I read, and, um, and, I've, and I've heard, uh, let, let's, we did this several weeks ago, let's do this again, let's stand together for our scripture reading, if you're able, let's stand for our scripture reading. John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. So when he came again, uh, excuse me, 43 to 54. After the two days, he, and that is Jesus, departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And this is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. Indeed, God, thank you for your word. And we thank you for this this, uh, episode from John's gospel where we're encountered, um, encountering the faith of this Roman official. God, I pray in the next few moments as we unpack what this passage is saying to us, may we take these lessons and apply them to our own heart. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen and amen. You may have your seat. So uh, last night as we were uh, 
getting ready for bed, Emmy asked me, so what are we learning tomorrow? And I just love that. Every now and then she'll ask that question. I asked her permission if I could share the story. She goes, what are we learning tomorrow? And I said, well, okay. Um, well, I'm, and I started to flesh out the story that we just read. And she goes, hey, you know what? That reminds me of something. She, she ran to her room and then she came back and she brought this book. Have you seen this book? Uh, these are by the Good Book Company, um, for the Good Book for Children. And this one is called The One O'Clock Miracle. And she's like, yeah, that story you just told is exactly like this story. And then she started to flip it over. And I was like, yeah, lo and behold, it's that exact, that exact story. And as we saw uh, in this account, when the, in the scripture passage that we just read, it said it happened at the seventh hour. And remember, the hour of reckoning in Jewish time was from roughly sunrise. So, six, so seven, the seventh hour of the day would have been one o'clock in the afternoon. So the one o'clock miracle. That is going to be our passage today, and here we're going to learn uh, some lessons on um, the faith, how faith grows and is developed in the life of this, this ruler. So let's look at where we are in the context. This is in the fourth chapter of John, um, and so we saw John chapter 1. We saw the testimony of John the Baptist and Jesus calling his first disciples. In John chapter 2, we saw the miracle of the water to, to wine. Um, that was done in the city of Cana. As we just read, this is in the same city that Jesus is in here in our story that we, as part of our scripture reading today, and it even references that. Then Jesus goes down to Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple. He meets a man, Nicodemus, in chapter 3, who comes to him at night. Nicodemus, being a, a Pharisee and a ruler over the Jews, comes to Jesus, and they have a conversation about being born again and born from above. And then we saw the story of Jesus and the woman from Samaria. As Jesus is traveling back from Jerusalem, back up north to the region of Galilee, uh, and instead of going around the hated region of the Samaritans who were kind of half Jewish and, um, uh, and half uh, pagans, foreigners, instead of going around, they go through that city and Jesus encounters this woman of Samaria. John chapter 4 ends with him leaving that town in Samaria and going back up to the city of Cana. So here we are, look at John chapter 43, it says that after two days he departed for Galilee. Now why does it say two days? Because that's how long uh, he'd stayed there in verse 40. So if you go up a, a few verses here, the Samaritans from that town believed him because of the Samaritan woman's testimony. So the Samaritans came out from the city, they came out to the well where the woman had met Jesus. And they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. So this is immediately following on this, this uh, episode with the Samaritan woman. He stays there for two days, and then in this passage it says, and then after those two days, he departs for Galilee, which is the next little region north. Now notice here, what is the meaning, though, of verse 44? 
Just take a few moments to kind of unpack this a little bit. Look at, the, look at verse 44. It's kind of a parenthetical statement here in the ESV. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So the question is, well, wait, what's his hometown? What's going on here? Um, is his hometown Judea? And that's why he left Judea and he's moving, going up north is because he's not honored down there. But his hometown is usually all throughout the Bible is considered uh, Nazareth. He was called a Nazarene in fulfillment of the scriptures. Uh, when he confronts uh, demons later on, they say, well, do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth? Um, the crowds recognize Jesus as being Jesus of, of Nazareth. When the women go to the tomb and they see the angel, they, the angel goes, well, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, so it, it's Nazareth, which would be a town near Cana in Galilee, was considered his hometown. So a lot of people are trying to make sense of what's going on here in verse 44. What does it mean that he's not with a prophet, not without honor in his hometown? And yet it says in verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him haven't seen that all that he had done in Jerusalem at the, at the feast. So what is going on here? What, is, what does that mean? Um, I think it could be quite simply, maybe, um, maybe he just skips Nazareth to get back to Cana. So maybe it's kind of John's way of saying um, uh, he wasn't welcomed in his hometown, so instead of going to Nazareth, he went to Cana, perhaps. Uh, or maybe there's a lesson here suggesting that in the broader region of Cana, which Nazareth, uh, broader region of Galilee, which Nazareth and Cana would be a part of, maybe Jesus understands that there is a lack of belief in who he is. And the statement that they welcomed him is a, is a statement about their superficiality of their, of their faith in him. So they're welcome of Jesus. They welcomed him, but they're not welcoming him as Messiah or they're not welcoming him as Savior. They're welcoming him as a, a miracle worker or a performer of these wonderful deeds. It, if that's the sense, it, it kind of capturing the sense of what um, it, John says at the end of chapter two, go back a few pages there at John chapter two. Verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. And we looked at this before, right? Belief in Jesus has lots of different levels. And you can have a superficial belief in Jesus that may, uh, may not be a saving faith. Because look at what it says in verses 24 and 25. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about a man, for he himself knew what was in a man. So, so there's probably maybe a little suggestion here at the end of chapter 4. The welcome that he's receiving in Samaria is of a more superficial, superficial nature. Maybe they were wanting to see the miracles that they, he had done down in Jerusalem. And maybe the news, remember the, the miracle of the turning the water to wine? Remember that that wasn't a common knowledge at the wedding. It was only the servants who knew and Jesus who knew and his mother who knew, not even the, the banquet host knew. 
But maybe at this point, after traveling down to Jerusalem and back, maybe news of this miracle started to kind of matriculate out through, through Galilee. Yeah, I said matriculate. So uh, this is the setting here in John chapter 4. He'd come to, to Galilee, and they welcomed him because they wanted to see the kind of miracles that he had done and the wondrous works that he had done down in the feast. So here's where the official comes to approach Jesus in verse 46. So when he came to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, so he came to, uh, again, to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, this resembles a, a couple of other uh, stories in the gospel, and some people in the gospels, and some people confuse um, and think that this is all telling the same story. One is the story in Matthew chapter 8 of uh, a centurion who likewise has a servant who is paralyzed. And so he comes to Jesus and asks for Jesus to perform uh, the miracle. Some people think that these are the same account. I think, um, I think they're two different uh, stories for numerous reasons. One, it's a different term used for official as opposed to centurion. Completely a different Greek term. The term for uh, official here is related to the word for king. So it means belonging to the king or perhaps uh, a part of the king's court or an administrator in the king's administration. Whereas a centurion would have been kind of the, a military term. This would be more of a politician, bureaucrat. Um, in this story, it's his son, whereas in the, the story of the this, this centurion, it is um, his servant. Here the son is ill, there the, the servant is, is paralyzed. Here, uh, in the, the story of the, the centurion, the centurion comes to Jesus, and Jesus offers to go, and he says, no, 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 you don't have to go. Just say the word, and he'll be healed. And he gives the beautiful picture of, you know, I'm a, I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier in command of a lot of people, and I, uh, I'm under authority, and I have authority over others. And so I know that when I get a charge or a command and I obey it, and then when I give one, my command is not to be questioned. It's just to be obeyed. And he uses that example of his own hierarchy there to establish the connection to illustrate Jesus's power. He says, just say the word. Just say the word. To which Jesus says, I've not uh, seen faith in all of Israel like the faith of this centurion. This passage, however, this official has a sick son and he begs Jesus to go with him. So I think it's, it's not the same story, but it's a potentially tragic event either way. As I said, this servant is the term related to a royal official in uh, the court. So uh, it's related to of a king. Very likely what it is is he's an official in the court of King uh, Herod Antipas, which is the son of Herod the Great. 
after Herod the Great dies, who was the, the king over Israel at the time when Jesus was born, after he dies, his kingdom kind of gets broken up and uh, some of his sons start to rule various regions of it. And his son, Herod Antipas, is the, the tetrarch or ruler over Galilee. And elsewhere in Mark's gospel, he's referred to as King Herod. Not the King Herod of Jesus' birth, but his son. And so here you have this. This is who this official is. A high-level administrator, perhaps, in Herod Antipas's uh, government. And he hears about Jesus and comes to Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Here, early on in Jesus's ministry, you have this news about Jesus, this gospel news about Jesus spreading even to the highest levels of government in that area. So even in John chapter 3 through 4, we're starting to see a trend or a trajectory here, right? We saw Jesus's interaction with a respected Jewish leader, a Pharisee, a man of the Pharisees, a man of the ruling body in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, coming to Jesus. And then we see an outcast, adulterous uh, Samaritan, half-breed woman that Jesus interacts with. And now we have uh, an official that is a part of the administrative state for the, the Roman Empire. It's kind of interesting, kind of this mimics, mimics in a way the spread of the gospel that Jesus spoke of in the book of Acts. When he said, the resurrected Jesus, as he's about to be ascended into heaven, says to all of his disciples, and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Here in John chapter 3 and 4, you're seeing the exact same trajectory. Um, a member of the Jewish class, respected leader in Jerusalem, this woman in Samaria, and now to the highest levels of, of the government. But this is not just a, a government official. Uh, he's a real person, which I think... How many of us also struggle with seeing government officials as real human beings, flesh and blood persons? I think, and we're given ample reason sometimes to not see them as real human being, flesh and blood persons. Um, there's a human side to this bureaucrat. He's, he's referred to as the official here, but then later he's referred to as, as the man. And at the end of the story, he's referred to as the father. There's a humanizing that takes place in this passage. He's a real person with a real family, with a wife and, a child, and children, and a son who's not, um, who's not doing well, who's ill, and as a matter of fact, it says he's, he's nearing the point of death. And as he's dealing with a sick child at home, he's now at the point where he hears the rumor that Jesus is making his way back from Jerusalem. And so he decides to act. And so he travels from Capernaum to Cana. So if you could picture this, uh, this is a 20-mile walk. So this would take a full day. And as a matter of fact, we've got some good suggestion that he, he broke it up into two days. He did half the travel, 
Maybe you had heard about it immediately in the middle of the day that Jesus was, was coming back to Cana. And so he'd started out and then stayed somewhere overnight and then gets to Jesus uh, at the middle of the afternoon. Because remember, it says the seventh hour, which would be like roughly one o'clock, like we saw in our children's book story, the one o'clock miracle. So he travels all night. He probably hears about it immediately, loads up all of his stuff, perhaps has some servants with him, uh, travels, camps overnight, then gets down, meets Jesus in the town of Cana, 20 miles away, and he makes his request. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him, come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So that's the, the setting of the official's request. Now, here is Jesus's uh, comment, and it's uh, somewhat of a harsh comment. Perhaps it's a little striking to us to see Jesus respond to someone this way. Notice what it says in verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Right here, you're talking to a, a parent who has a child who is nearing death. And yet Jesus says, says this, seems harsh. But to whom is this directed? Is it directed to the official or to the townspeople? Well, it's to both. One, it says, and he says to the man who is making the crest. But notice what it says there. Uh, it's also directed to the Galilean people. Unless you, and if you see the footnote there, notice that there's a little footnote above the word you there. It's plural, and it's twice in this verse. Unless you, plural, see signs and wonders, you, plural, will not believe. This, this further suggests the superficiality of the reception that Jesus was getting in Samaria that we talked about a moment ago. They welcomed him, but Jesus knew what was in a, in a man, and now he's giving this stern rebuke, in a way, to the entire region. Unless and here, you know, I'm bringing the southern in to capture the Greek here. You got to do this. Unless you all Galileans, unless you see miraculous signs, you're not going to believe me. Unless you all Galileans see me perform wondrous works, you won't believe. So there seems to be the suggestion that uh, their, their faith and reception of Jesus was going to be contingent upon him doing these certain things. And so that's reflected in these harsh words to a grieving father. But the father here pushes even further and drives home to Jesus the desperation, the, the, the real desperation that he's experiencing. Notice the official says in verse 49, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Okay, now there's a shift in the, the term that's used for his son. Verse 47, he asked him to come down and heal his son, but now he uses um, this term of like my dear, precious, little, little child. And so 
Jesus then responds to this appeal in verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Now, do you you capture a little bit of the dilemma that's happening right here? The man makes a specific request for him to come down and heal his son. He's expecting nothing less than to take Jesus from Cana to join him on his journey back. And since it's here in the middle of the afternoon, they would likewise have to stay somewhere overnight and then get there the following day so that Jesus' physical presence then could bring healing to him. And it's the the inverse of the story with the Samaritan, where the Samaritan says, will you heal my my servant? And Jesus goes, okay, I'll go. And he goes, no, 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 you you could just speak it from here. The man kind of has the opposite one. He has enough faith to believe that Jesus can do this, but he still thinks that Jesus needs to be there, present. But Jesus doesn't go. Instead, he tells him to go. He says, go. Your son will live. So now he's with the dilemma. Do I, do I say, Jesus, yes, I believe that you could do it, but I really need you to come? Or does he act on this word from Jesus? Does he take Jesus at his word and then go? Loading up all of his stuff, packing it all back up, and then heading back going all night not knowing what the outcome will be, having to go overnight to see how his prayer to Jesus would be answered. Have you ever struggled with a situation like that? Have to sleep or try to sleep overnight on a, on a very serious issue? Maybe it's a death of a loved one. Maybe it's a, a financial hardship. How many of you have had to experience this and have a faith that needs to be exercised overnight. Yes? So this is what he's presented with. This is the dilemma that he's presented with. And then notice what it says at the, uh, the, red, the rest of verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I, don't, I think rarely have I encouraged people to go ahead and write in your Bibles or tell you that you need to write something in your Bible. I want you to write something in your Bible. I want you to take, and if you, you do it right, you would have a four-color multi-pen so you could tell the different sections that you're circling. So this is how I would do it in my Bible. I would, have, I would put a black box around go and then a black box about around went. It's the same verb. It kind of misses it a little bit in, uh, in English, but in Greek, it's the same word. He gives the command and Jesus gives the command to go and then the man goes. And then if you have your big four-color multi-red pen, you would then underline the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. It's the crux of the matter, isn't it? And this is a hinge of faith. This really is the hinge moment in faith. 
Before we elaborate on some of the lessons of this, let's, let's continue with the rest of this story. He resolves, I'm going to take Jesus at his word. And I'm going to go. And I just got here. But I'm going to make that trek again. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go a journey until it's dark and it's no longer safe to travel. I'll find a place to stay overnight and then finish my journey tomorrow and see how my son is doing. There's no text messaging. There's no emails. Sits in faith overnight. And as he was going down, now it's presumed here because of the context, we can tell this is overnight already. This is the next day. He's gotten up early the next day and he's making his way and he's almost nearing Capernaum. And as he's going down to Capernaum, it says his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Now notice he doesn't just rejoice in the fact that his son is recovering. He wants to connect this to what Jesus has done. Verse 52. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, his fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He was, he was connecting the dots. He wasn't just looking at this from uh, an earthly physical perspective. He was immediately trying to see how this was answering. How, how, what's the spiritual connection here? And then notice what that understanding, the connecting of the dots does to his faith. Verse 53. The father knew that was the hour Jesus said to him, your son lived. And he himself believed. It's saying it again. Another time that he believed. In verse 50, Jesus gives the command, go, and it says, and he believed the word. And then in verse 53, it says, when he put the pieces together, it says that, and he himself believed. His faith is now growing. And not only does his faith grow, the testimony of this incident causes others to believe too, and all his household. And this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come to Judea and Galilee. This is connecting it to the water and the wine thing. So here's the lessons of faith, the trajectory of faith, the, the levels of faith that kind of we see depicted in, in the Bible and people's, the way faith grows and changes um, in the lives of persons. Here's a couple of lessons for us to see about a growing faith that's pictured for us here in this royal official. First of all, let me just kind of say, the, notice again the faith, the quote faith, the superficial faith of the Galileans. This is the only way that makes sense of Jesus' very stern rebuke to the man and the whole, the whole town. You only, want, you only want to see what things I can do. And this will reoccur several times in John's gospel. We'll see this in John chapter 6, for instance. So Jesus rebukes them for superficial faith and is attempting to push them beyond that. So why don't you notice first the superficial faith of the Galileans. But then next, I want you to notice the faith, uh, a faith conceived, how faith begins this royal official hears that Jesus is coming, and he acts. 
And at first he's, he's wanting to perhaps just understand maybe Jesus is just a miracle worker. Maybe his, his faith is resembling that of the other Galileans at the time. Uh, it's, I could just come to Jesus for what he could, he could give me. But notice that Jesus challenges that level of faith. Are you just coming, are you just coming to me because of what I could give you? Or are you coming to me for who I am? And what a contrast that is, speaking of this Galilean and superficial level of faith, what a contrast that is to what he had just experienced in Samaria with the half-breed Samaritans. The Samaritans heard the word. Let's go back to, to verses 39 42. The Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And the woman had said, he told me all that I had ever did. So then when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay them for several days. And many more believed because of his word. They said, it's no longer because of what you said, Samaritan woman, that we believe. For we have heard ourselves. And we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. Notice the amazing faith. The woman had said, could this be the Messiah? And they said, we know he is indeed the savior of the world. Notice for them that faith started with the conviction of sin. He told me all I ever did. And that faith takes Jesus at his word. Many more believe because of his word. And that this faith was in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, not just as as a miracle worker. What a contrast it is to the, to the Galileans. And it makes sense why Jesus would say, unless, unless you see me doing signs and wonders, you won't believe. But notice the man's faith is now confronted here, and it moves to the next part, which is a, a faith confronted, and this is the challenge or crisis of faith. Jesus sends that harsh rebuke in verse 48, and the man pushes further. Sir, come down again. Please come down. And his faith is challenged even more when Jesus said, do you take me at my word? Go. Your son will live. I'm not going down with you. And so now he's put into that, that crisis of faith. He now is put in a position where he needs to, to believe and then to act on that faith. And then lastly, a faith confirmed. The man taking Jesus at his word, perhaps stewing on this all night long, and then coming to the, re- to the wonderful news that his son was The fever is gone. He was going to live, but he's like, no, no, I I need to connect this. I need to connect this with what just happened. When did it happen? Well, yesterday, one o'clock, one o'clock. And the man's faith that is confirmed, he believed Jesus in verse 50. And then in verse 53, when he gets confirmation of this, it, he believed and it's emphatic and he himself believed His faith was confirmed in his acting on it. 
And not only was his faith confirmed, that faith was confirmed by spreading to others as well. What a wonderful story, isn't it? And not just on the good that happened to those who are parents in this room and have children and have to see a child who is sick and have to go through that kind of faith-challenging experience. It's a wonderful story because it ends well. The child is, recovers. But it really is a lesson for us on Jesus being more than just a miracle worker. Do we really believe Jesus and take him at his word? We could come to Jesus Because of what we initially hear from him and what he offers. But as you come to Jesus and the further you get in your Christian walk, you are going to be confronted with those moments that I'm going to really have to believe. I believe Jesus. I believe who he says he is. But now I'm going to really have to act on it. Am I going to trust him? And oftentimes, when we go through that experience, he confirms. We look back in the rearview mirror of our journey and our trust in Christ, and we will come to realization, boy, he was moving all along. He was there all along. Even in the really dark overnight moments, laying out underneath the stars, wondering if your child's going to make it. And you look back on it and you go, yeah, He was there. I love this story because it illustrates a faith not just conceived and superficial, but a faith confronted and a faith confirmed. Amen? Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, We love you and thank you for Jesus. And we marvel every time when we come to reading and diving into the stories of his interactions with with people. We come away learning more every time. And I thank you for the, the Jesus who is compassionate and willing to heal and forgive. But we also thank you for the ways in which Jesus challenges us and confronts us in our faith. Where he puts us in a position to to take him at his word. God, we pray that you would help us all of us who claim the name of Christ to walk in obedience and trust in him. Help us to do as this this ruler had done to believe the word that Jesus speaks. Help us to do that 
And we ask also that you give us eyes to see the ways in which he has fulfilled his promises in the past. So we pray, God, that you would help us to move beyond just a conceived faith, but a confronted faith and a confirmed faith. Because Jesus is, is worthy of our fullest trust. Help us with that, Lord God. For the sake of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, will you stand for our closing benediction today? Isn't Jesus awesome? Uh, Here's our closing benediction. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.